Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. It's often said, if you want to get really good at something, one of the best ways to do that is to draw alongside someone who is already good at it, to to look at the lives of other people. I was told before I got married that if I wanted to have a good marriage with Emma, one of the best things we could do is make friends with people who have been living for Jesus a long time, who have a really strong marriage, and just look at the way they live and learn from people who've done it before. The same is said if you want to grow in a skill. Benjamin Franklin wanted to be a great writer. And so what he did when he was a young man is he bought a magazine that he liked. I think it was The Spectator. This was a couple of hundred years ago. And he would read articles from it. And he'd try and remember them. And then later in the week, he'd try and write that article himself, like the one he's read. He's looking at something. He's like, I want to learn from this so that I can do likewise. You see the same with painters. Young aspiring painters, they'll take great works of art from masters of the craft and they'll try and reproduce them. They'll look at all the details. They'll see how that painter did it and they will then try and imitate it. If you want to be a boxer, what do you do? You you work out in the gym, obviously, but also you'll watch the footage of Muhammad Ali. You'll see how he would duck and weave and you would try and learn from the best. If you want to be a rapper, you're probably taking the lyrics of someone like Tupac and you're, you're trying to catch the same flow and cadence that he had. And I am not ashamed to admit that as a young man, I would sometimes print off the transcripts of John Piper sermons (laughs) and try and deliver them in his own inimitable style. There's something about looking at as someone who's nailing it and trying to learn from them if you want to step up and do better. Well, in the book of Acts, we get a couple of pictures of churches that are nailing it, that are given for us to look at and to imitate and to see what the life was like in these churches. If we want to step up and be the church that God is calling us to be. Now, one of them's right at the start of Acts, and we actually talk about this church a fair bit, and that's the church in Jerusalem. Today we're going to look at the other one. This is in the middle of the book of Acts and it's the church in Antioch. So we're just going to do a little deep dive today into what the life of the church in Antioch was like. It's going to be a bit of a different kind of sermon. It's going to be a 10 point sermon, okay? but we're not going to be here all day. Don't worry. We're going to rapid fire through some stuff. So it'll be a bit like machine gun style. We're going to pick out some really cool stuff about the church in Antioch. Now, as we do this, some of the things, as we talk about them, hopefully it will mean the penny drops in your mind. Oh, yeah, I see why we do things that way now, because the church in Antioch was doing it. We start to understand a bit of what we do and how we're trying to imitate that church. There might be other bits of it that are quite provocative for us, where we see stuff in the church in Antioch and think, actually, Flip, we need to step up a bit. We need to see more of that in our church life. There'll be bits of both in there. And we're doing it in the context of Give Big Sunday. So you've probably had emails. If you are around last week, you'd have seen the video. We're doing our Give Big Sundays next week and the week after. This is a thing as a church we do twice a year, a special offering for a particular cause. And this one we're calling our gift 
to the wider church. So we're giving to fund initiatives that can serve churches beyond ourselves. So this would include things like broadcasts. So broadcast is something we've set up to train church planters, partnering with organisations that train cross-cultural missionaries and helping the church spread into all different places. Also things like the School of Theology and the School of Ministry that we do. We set them up to train people in the Word and the Spirit and we've had 30 plus churches accessing them. We're trying to equip the church in Manchester and beyond to know the Bible and to be able to minister in the power of the Spirit. Also a thing that we're setting up called the Northern Gospel Powerhouse, which we're working with friends up at City Church and we're trying to set up a new base to uh, train, fund, support church planters throughout the North, particularly going to some of the more challenging regions of the North of England that just don't have many churches that teach the Gospel. And we want to see more churches go to those places. So we're setting up this initiative to support them. Also Festival Manchester working with the message to see thousands of people presented with the gospel in a big festival but also schools work and other initiatives in July. We want to give into all of these things and bless beyond ourselves. That's kind of the context and what we do before Give Big Sunday is we always just try and explain a little bit about what it is, why we're doing it. So as we look at this church in Antioch, uh, and as we look at these 10 points, some of them might link in a bit. And where they do, I'll just pick that out as well. But if you've got a Bible, please turn to Acts 11. Now on this church in Antioch, we've got two little passages that tell us about what they were like. We've got 12 verses at the end of Acts 11. So verses 19 to 30. And then we jump to chapter 13, and we've got three verses at the start. So I'm going to read both of these passages And then we'll start picking through some stuff. So Acts 11, verse 19 says this. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined every one according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's jump on to chapter 13 as well and just read the three verses we have there. From verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Right, 10 things that I've picked out from these verses that I think are inspiring, that I think are really cool, that I want us to learn from. Number one is this, they crossed boundaries. They crossed boundaries. I wonder if when I read verse 20, it might have seemed quite inconsequential to you. It isn't. This was a monumental moment in the growth of Christianity. It says there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Up until this point, they'd been preaching the gospel in the synagogues. They'd been reaching a a mainly Jewish crowd. Now, some people get to Antioch and they find, well, it says Hellenists. It's talking about non-Jewish Greek speakers. They found people who spoke a different language, who had a different cultural background and something in their hearts burned and thought, we need to reach those people as well. We don't want Christianity to have one cultural form. We don't want it to be just something that happens as an offshoot of the synagogue. We want there to be an Antioch version of Christianity. We want it to be so that in a city like Antioch, the gospel is preached in a way that makes sense to people who live here. We want the the forms, the language, everything about this culture, we want to be embedded in the way we do things. And if there can be an Antioch version of Christianity that's different from the Jerusalem version, you know what that means. It means there can be a Manchester version of Christianity as well. It means that every city, every town, every village, every people group can have the gospel preached to it in a way that resonates with that people group. So wherever you go in the world... Christianity has a different form. We sing different songs. We use different styles of music. People dress in different ways. There's not one set way you have to dress when you gather in church. We eat different foods. Even the content of preaching will differ. Now, the gospel is the same, but because it's answering the questions that different people groups are asking, it will be presented in different ways. It will be tackling different issues. Isn't that exciting? In contrast to something like Islam, which has a form and wherever you go in the world, people will dress the same, have the same language, will do 7th century Arabic style. That's the way it happens. But in Christianity, our friend Andy McCulloch said it this way, Christianity has an intrinsic translatability. We see that in Antioch, which means, right... When we think about how do we want the gospel to spread, it won't do to think, let's build something big and then everyone can come and adapt to the way we do it. And if it doesn't quite connect with their culture and their language, stuff them, they've got to fit in and learn to do it our way. It means we follow the Jesus model. He came from heaven to earth. So we need to go to where people are. And so when we think about how do we reach Manchester, I don't think that people in the north of the city and people uh, down in Stockport and people over into Cheshire and over into the Peaks and wherever we're at, I don't think just getting them to come here and do Lady Barn vibes is the biblical way. I think the biblical way is we go to them. That's why we're always trying to start new sites so we can reach different communities and be in those communities and spread the gospel. It's also why when we're talking about sites, we want to do things in different languages. 
You know, there are people in Manchester who are Spanish speakers. Well, we want to reach them and bring the gospel in a Spanish-speaking context. So we've started our Spanish-speaking site and having public gatherings now with that group. We've got our Hindi-speaking group that we set up. We want to reach people in the language that they speak. And also on the broadcast platform that I was telling you about, one of the big strands of that is cross-cultural training, partnering with our friends at Unreach, because one of the first things we want to train people to do if they're going overseas is how do you actually learn what the culture that you're going to is so you can effectively bring the word of Christ to that place? They cross boundaries. Here's number two, right? This is the second thing I love about this church in Antioch. They saw lots of people added to their number. Did you see it in verse 21? It says, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. In verse 24, it says, a great many people were added to the Lord. I've loved in recent months hearing the stories of different people who've come to Christ. I was chatting with one guy at one of our CCM sites who was telling me during lockdown, he had loads of medical difficulties and he was far from God at this point. But someone prayed with him. He's seen God heal him in numbers of different ways. And he said, now I've given my life to Jesus and I follow Christ. Now, I love hearing stories like that. I've heard other stories around our sites of people coming into church, meeting with God. We, we saw the baptism video. We're going to be baptizing people who found new life in Jesus. And the Festival Manchester that I mentioned, that's what that's all about. We want to work with the message to see many people saved. However, on this point, I do feel pretty provoked because I hear these stories and it feels to me like what I'm hearing is a trickle and what I read in Antioch feels more like a flood. It means it feels like we're seeing bits of it and they were seeing lots of it. So I'm stirred to go after God and say, God, we want more of this. We need to see more people saved. We need to see more of Manchester Reach. Will you join me in praying for our city that we see more and more people Saved. Last year I was on holiday in the Isle of Wight and I saw there was one of the uh, lifeboats that they had there that was working in the English Channel to see people rescued. And I just thought God was pointing out to me, that's what they're all about, seeing people rescued, seeing people saved. And if they get distracted from that, they'd be pretty pointless, wouldn't they? As the church, aren't we the same? Haven't we been given this mission to take the, the gospel to the world and see people saved? Third thing. They were connected. Verse 22 says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They had friends in other cities who were working with them. I've noticed, right? I don't know if you've noticed this. When churches go wrong, often part of the problem is they're just disconnected. They're on their own. They're doing their own thing and nobody else is speaking into it. Well, this Antioch church, they were part of a movement. They had friends who could come and help them out. And as CCM, we're part of a movement called New Frontiers, or uh, the Catalyst Movement of Churches. We've got friends like, you saw Richard Thomas on the weekend away. He's a friend of ours who comes and joins with us often. Next weekend, we've got Emmanuel Rakaiba coming from, he's over in the UK from Uganda. He's part of a church we partner with, and he can help us. He can speak into our church life. We talk about Andre Bondarenko, uh, who was in Ukraine now, um, <coughs> obviously with the, the, the situation there, relocated. But uh, Andre is another friend of ours. We've got friends who can come in and help us. And when Barnabas got to Antioch, it said, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad 
And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I really hope that when these friends of ours come and join us and spend time with us, I really hope they're glad at what they see. The grace of God in our midst. Number four, they taught a great many people. Right, get this. Barnabas goes, he sees this church in Antioch, and he's like, I've got a, I've got a guy I'm going to bring along. And he brings along Saul, or Paul, as you might know him as. This is the guy who wrote Romans, and 1 and 2 Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and so on. He wrote all that stuff. Imagine having him as your teaching pastor. That would be quite something, wouldn't it? I mean, I know Andy Brownlee can preach a cracking sermon, but imagine having Paul coming and being amongst you. Wow. And it says, they taught a great many people. And they made a point of it, didn't they? Good teaching matters. Learning about God's word. Understanding the truth in different ways. And I've been thinking more and more about how we can do this and how we can make sure we're teaching well here at CCM. I think we do teach quite well on our Sundays. Uh, also, we set up the School of Theology to, to go a bit deeper, to take time to deep dive into the Word of God. We do it one Saturday a month, and um, we, we're just finishing an Old Testament year. From September, we're going to hit the New Testament if you've not done School of Theology, get yourself signed up. But this is something we're trying to make available much more widely than CCM. Part of our Give Big is how do we make this just so accessible to so many churches, completely free of charge for people? They taught a great many. I really like the other half of verse 26. It's our fifth one. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That wasn't a name they chose for themselves. It wasn't like they had a meeting and being like, right, we, we, we need a name for this. Let's call ourselves Christians. This is what the other people called them. They looked at the church and were like, you lot, you kind of remind us of Jesus. Let's call you little Christs, Christians. That's what we're going to call you. Because everyone saw them and got Jesus vibes from them. I think that's pretty cool. You know, when I was younger, I remember that song by the Killers. I don't know if any of you remember it that had that line, he doesn't look a thing like Jesus. That was not true of this church. Everyone looked at them and saw, wow, yeah, they look like Jesus. Ignatius of Antioch, one of the church fathers from this very city of Antioch, a couple of generations after what we're reading, reflected on it and wrote this. It's not that I want merely to be called a Christian, but to actually be one. Yes, if I prove to be one, then I can have the name. He said, I want the life that looks like Jesus, that shines Jesus everywhere I go. This is more than just that old wristband, like what would Jesus do? Although that's not a bad question to ask. This is about having a spiritual temperature so high that they would instinctively and intuitively act in a way that resembled Christ. I think one of the most powerful witnesses in a culture like ours is distinctive Christian living. I read a story about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who gathered some pastors uh, and Christians to train them up at a place called Finkelwald and it was not far from one of the, the Nazi training camps. And Reflecting on the culture of his day, he just looked at what was going on in this little group that he was training and said, this must be stronger than that. The work that God does in here will ultimately win out over everything that's going on. And we see in Antioch that this, the work that God was doing through this Christ-like group, 
actually proved more powerful and more sustainable than the very Roman Empire that they were in. This must be stronger than that. Number six, they had a prophetic culture. Verse 27 says, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Over the last few months, we've spent a lot of time talking about this. I know it may be more or less familiar based on your church background. It is really important that we hear from God, that we're open to what God's saying by his spirit, that we're open to the prophetic. And the purpose of prophets, it's not only for them to bring the word, although that's part of it, but in Ephesians, we're told that prophets like evangelists, teachers, apostles, pastors, part of their purpose is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So we want to receive from prophetic people who can equip us all to hear God's word and hear God's voice and respond to it. And this is why we set up the School of Ministry. I mentioned the School of Theology before. Well, we set up the School of Ministry so we can receive people with prophetic gifting from other places to help us and to help the churches around us hear God's voice and walk in it. Number seven, they were a generous church. See how they responded to Agabus's word. It says, one of them, these are the prophets that came, Agabus stood up foretold by the spirit there'd be a great famine over all the world and his prophecy was proved correct it says it happened in the days of Claudius so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea they gave financially they decided there's a problem and we can do something about it And so they did. Basically, right, they saw their money as not just something for their own gain, but something to put to use for God's kingdom. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to spend money on things to enjoy. I think God's got a place for that. But a fundamental heart approach, this is God's and I get to steward it. How can I use it to do good? And it says, each one gave according to his ability. You know, sometimes people say to me, Tom, how much should I give? And this is the answer. Well, give according to your ability. Give in proportion to what you're able to do. So if you don't have much, no one's going to be expecting you to give what you don't have. I would say this, though, if you don't have much, I think there is a principle in still giving what you can out of the little you have. It does something really powerful in your heart when your posture changes from, I'm going to keep what I have to, I'm going to stretch myself and give what I can. And if you are in a position to give more, let yourself be stretched and let yourself give to the point where you actually feel it a little bit and there's some sacrifice involved. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So when we talk about regular giving or or give bigs like this, here's the practice that I would suggest. If you're trying to work out how much to give, why not ask God? Well, maybe have an idea, maybe have a sense of, I think I could give this and say, God, is that what you're calling me to? And maybe the Holy Spirit will nudge you and say, yep, that's what I'm calling you to. Or maybe he'll give you a nudge and say, well, how about you give this? Open yourself up and see what God wants to do. Right, number eight, we're jumping to the verses in chapter 13 now. They were a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. It says in verse one, there were in the church Antioch, prophets and teachers, and it lists five of them. So you've got Barnabas, and Barnabas, we, we're told earlier in Acts, he was a native of Cyprus. So he's a man with Jewish background, 
from Cyprus. Then you've got this guy, Simeon, who uh, was called Niger. That was the, the word in their language for black. He was a black African man. You've got Lucius, who's from Cyrene, uh, which is in Libya, so also African. Menaean, he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod grew up in Palestine, so this guy would have grown up in Palestine, probably had a wealthy, privileged upbringing alongside Herod and Saul, who we know is from Tarsus. Tarsus is in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Derwin Gray reflects on this passage and says, Luke, the author of Acts, led by God the Holy Spirit, reveals the gifting and the roles of the five leaders, the leadership team of the multi-ethnic church at Antioch. Luke pointed out their ethnicity. Two were from Africa, one was from the Mediterranean, one was from the Middle East, and one was from Asia Minor. The multi-ethnic church at Antioch was led by a multi-ethnic leadership team. I really love the diversity at CCM across all the different sites. I love how many different nations are represented in our church. I love the fact that when Colin's been thinking about his retirement, he's been dreaming up this barbecue where we have food from all the different nations represented at CCM. In fact, I don't know if we could quite say he spent more time planning the barbecue than the leadership succession. It's close. It's not far off. And I love that over the years we've been doing this as a church, this is something that we've grown in and we've embraced more nations. I still find this verse quite provocative, to be honest. There's a long way to go here at CCM to see God's vision for multi-ethnic church expressed in every part of our church life. And that's something we want to carry on growing in and doing more on. Number nine is prayer. You see, verse two, what were they doing? They were worshipping the Lord and they were fasting. Verse three, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. They're worshipping, they're fasting and praying. I know this is a cliche, but I'm going to say it. Prayer really is the engine room of the church. It's as we, as God's people, gather together and pray that we see things happen. I don't know if I've told you this before, but um, about a year ago, something shifted in my prayer life. I was at a conference, I was hearing a talk, and the guy was doing quite a deep theology dive into the books of One and Two Kings. And he talked about how at the start of One Kings, the temple had been built. It was meant to be a house of prayer that the king could go to, bring all the needs of the nation before God. And then you've got a list of all these different monarchs in Israel and Judah. About 250 years pass. Ups and downs, highs and lows, lots of challenges, lots of people turning away from God. All sorts going on. And yet it's not until near the end of two kings that you get Hezekiah. Finally, we've got a record of a king actually going into this temple and actually praying. 250 years and we've not got a record of any of them doing it. And then Hezekiah, this army is on his doorstep. He goes, he prays. And then this army packs his bags and leaves. And God solves the problem. And we think, whoa, all these kings, did it just not occur to them? Did they not realise that this temple was there and there was a living God who could intervene? Did they just forget? Did they just, like, was it not on their radar to pray? And then I thought, wow, how about me? How about us? Do we do the same sometimes? Do we press ahead with our plans? Do we try and solve our problems by our own strength? Well, this church in Antioch, they prayed. And what happened when they prayed? Well, the Holy Spirit gave them a prompting. And based on this prompting, most of the world 
was reached. As Saul and Barnabas were sent out, it meant the gospel was spread throughout the Mediterranean. Saul's missionary journeys changed the face of the world. God used that prayer meeting in an incredible way. Elizabeth Elliot said, prayer lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and its accomplishment on earth. We see that in the Antioch prayer meeting, don't we? As they went and prayed, they got hold of God's will for the gospel to go to the world. And because of what happened in that prayer meeting, it was accomplished as they listened to the voice of God and acted on it. We were talking a few days ago. We want to start some new prayer meetings here at CCM. We're going to call them renewal prayer meetings. I don't know what day they'll be on yet. I'll give you the details once I've booked a room and everything. We're going to do it in the mornings. We're going to do 6.15 to 7am. We're going to do it weekly in person. It's going to be full on in person prayer. We're going to go after God's face. We're going to intercede for the city. We're going to pray for revival. We need to step up and do it more and we are going to step up and do it more. Tenthly, lastly, they gave their best away. You see what the Holy Spirit said to them? I'd be a bit annoyed if I was in a prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit said this. Giving away people is never an easy thing to do. And as a congregation, you know how this goes. Sending out people to Reddish, it bites, doesn't it? They're good people. And they could have helped what we're building here. And yet to go and further the mission and serve the wider church, it's a powerful We always think whenever we give people away, there's a scarcity. There'll be no one to do things. The Holy Spirit will raise people up to do the things. Giving people away is a difficult thing. Imagine that, right? You're part of the Antioch church and you feel the nudge from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you should give some people away. You should send some people out. So, all right, right, let's get the list. Let's find out who's who's got some potential, but maybe isn't that involved. Who we can send, who can we spare? And then the Holy Spirit's, no, 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 forget that. I want you to give away Barnabas. What? We need Barnabas. He's amazing. He's like pastoral encourager. He's the glue. He holds this thing together. And you come to terms with us. Okay, okay. We can probably make it work. Maybe we need to build more around Saul's teaching gift then if Barnabas is out of the mix. Well, we'll we'll lean on, no, no, Saul as well. Send both of them out. Imagine what they could have built in Antioch with Barnabas and Saul. And yet the Holy Spirit says to him, no, no, I want you to give away the best that you've got to serve my purposes in the whole world. And they did. When we talk about this give big as our gift to the wider church, it's a step in the same spirit as that. It's giving away what we can. It's using our resources to equip people who aren't us. To see God's purposes beyond us fulfilled. It's a great opportunity. I was thinking this week about the legacy of this church in Antioch. Because you know it's not there anymore. You know this church doesn't exist. We read about them, but it's gone. I wonder if they'd have just focused on themselves, on building what they could in Antioch, what they'd have left behind. Maybe they'd have made a big impact for a little while. In fact, the whole city of Antioch was conquered, was smashed in the 13th century by the Mongols. But their legacy was never in what they hoarded. It was in what they gave. It was in what they empowered. It was what they put into motion beyond themselves. That's the way of Christianity, isn't it? That's what Jesus did. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And these Antioch Christians acting in the same spirit. And they heard God. They were listening 
to what God was saying. And then in response, they stepped out and gave generously. So as we think about give big, do the same. Listen to God. Listen to how he's prompting you. Respond with a generous heart. In life, beyond just give big, listen to God. Be ready to hear what he's saying to you. Whatever he's saying to you and step out, giving of yourself, sacrificing of yourself. Even in the rest of the meeting, you know, as we worship, be ready to hear God and be ready to step out and bring and share what he's doing. God is good. And these guys in Antioch, they tapped into the heart of what it was all about.